with lots of time. What a throw! Robin one for the end zone. Welcome to This Week in College Football, presented by College Football Talk Daily at CFB Talk Daily on Twitter. I am your host today. My name is Sonny Martinez, and I am joined by Eric Cherriter. What's going on, man? How are you doing? How's it going? How's it going? Good, good. I was uh, I was prepared to introduce you as the one and only Eric Church, but uh, there actually is another Eric Church out there a little bit more famous than you are. Are you, uh, are you a fan of your country music counterpart? I've never heard of that guy a day in my life. Wow. <laughs> I'm thinking about wow. for stealing my name. <laughs> yeah, copyright there. <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely a fan. He makes good music, definitely. I have to be a fan. We have the same name. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you kind of got no other choice here. As we're recording today, it is, what is today, Monday, August 15th. Uh, news came out today out of LSU, Miles Brennan, who many thought could be the starting quarterback there. Uh, pretty much walked away from football, um, retire, if you want to call it that. Um, he was in a three-way battle to be the starting quarterback at LSU this fall. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Eric? I mean, it, it's it's kind of crazy, but I guess you can say it was seen coming if he was not going to be QB1 for the season. But like you just said, he, it was stated that he would not be starting this fall, so he decided to walk away from the game of football. It's unfortunate because... I feel like he's a very talented quarterback, but he just had a rough path. Um, just looking back at it, the role of Miles Brennan, he battled nine scholarship quarterbacks in six years. He was recruited by or on a team for three head coaches, five offensive coordinators. In his lone three starts of his career, he had 1,112 yards to go along with 11 touchdowns and three interceptions, multiple season-ending injuries. And like we just said, he retired from football pretty much because he was not named a starter. And this would have been his fifth year, I believe. So it was a, it was a tough role, a lot of adversity for him. And I guess he's at peace with his decision. Um, I understand his decision being a college football player once upon a time. And, you know, someday everybody's going to hang up their cleats. And it was just his time because, you know, he decided to come back after having his second season in the injury and try it again. And. It just didn't, it just, his cars didn't fall the right way. So I understand his, his decision and, you know, I'm not mad at him. Uh, he's at peace. It seems like, and it's time to move on with life. Yeah. And I'd assume for any athlete, it's definitely better if you make the decision rather than the decision being made for you. Um, I think injuries had a lot to do with it, especially mm-hmm. if he's not going to be the starter. Why were, why risk getting hurt again? You know, if you're just going to be a backup on the practice field, um, You'd have to assume this means Jaden Daniels is going to be the starter this year, right? Uh, that would be my guess. Um, I feel like Jaden Daniels didn't go to LSU. They didn't convince him to be a backup. You know, he was the starter at, at Arizona State, a pretty good starter, not you know a top five in all the college football, but he got the job done. He's a dual threat guy, and I can see him leading LSU in game number one. And we may still have a quarterback battle. Who knows? But I. In my personal opinion, see Jaden Daniels being the QB one starter fall. I agree, and and I think Daniels is. I've said this before on the show. A very solid Brian Kelly quarterback. He's what Brian Kelly wants in a quarterback. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Brennan 
does go to another school, maybe give it one more shot. With it being his fifth year, I'm not quite sure how that would work because he does get the extra COVID year, you know, plus he could come back as a sixth year senior. I'm So I'm not totally convinced that he's done yet, but if he is, I can't say I blame him. I mean, it's just looking at his career, it, it was rough. You know, as a freshman, he did play in six games. You know, he had a 182 yards and a touchdown. And then going into his sophomore year, it was unfortunate for him, but Joe Burrow transferred in. And it was it was the Joe Burrow show. That's the year Joe Burrow, he led the LSU Tigers on the 15-0 record, won a national championship. So he wasn't going to see the field at all that year. And then he earned a starting job in 2020, played the first three games, then had a season-ending injury. But before the season-ending injury, you know, he was playing pretty good. Over 1,000 yards and 11 touchdowns is pretty good in my book. And he actually became the first quarterback in LSU history to throw for at least 300 yards in each of his first three starts. But the injury bug kept coming back. And, you know, like, like I said, sometimes it's just not meant to be. But it was kind of interesting the way they worded it. They didn't use the word retired. They said walking away from football. So, I mean, if I were in his shoes, it depends how much he thinks he has left in the tank. Does he, if he still has look, that burning fire. That passion, you know, to give it one more shot and try to make it to the next league. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw him at a group of five score or even the FCS and light it up for one year and keep that pack, keep that dream going. But it's just unfortunate, man. Injury sucks. But like I say, you know, everybody's day is going to come one day when they have to hang up those cleats and, you know, move on with life. Absolutely. And it wouldn't surprise me either to see him possibly pop up in the CFL. Again, it comes down to how much he thinks he has left. How much does he want to give? You know, I mean, so many injuries already. It's going to be tough to add to it. Right. And at, at this point, it's like, why not? You know, go ahead and give a CFL shot. I mean, if like I said, if he still has that burning fire. But I saw Jaden Daniels getting a QB1 job. Once he transferred, like you said, he's that type of quarterback for that type of system that they want to run. So it was kind of foreseen that Brennan was not going to be the starter. And I'm pretty pretty sure he knew he wasn't going to be the starter, but he gave it a shot and it just didn't fall right for him. Yeah, and I think Daniels has top five quarterback potential. I had him as a Heisman candidate last year. Really? Yeah, um, that last year, um, obviously not this year. I don't think he... I don't think he gets there this year playing in the SEC West. Um, yeah, but I think he's he's got potential to be a really good quarterback. And if LSU goes far, it'll be because of him. Oh, yeah, for sure. If LSU goes anywhere, it will definitely be 100 percent on Jaden Daniels shoulders. That it was just interesting to hear you say you. I mean, he's definitely good. But top five, that, that was that's pretty cool to hear. I, I thought he had a lot of potential last year. Um, Arizona State, I thought, was a dark horse playoff contender last year. And then off the field stuff happened, and they just repeatedly fell on their face over the course of the season. But if if Daniels lives up to his potential, then we could be talking about something special. Yeah, do you, uh, do you think that LSU has a chance to make the playoffs this year? If you had to take a guess right now? No, um, I have LSU finishing last in the SEC West, actually. Uh, okay, I got you. Okay, I got you. I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page you right there. But, yeah, I mean, you never know, but it's, it'll be pretty tough for them. I, I honestly don't see LSU getting more than eight wins this year. Eight, eight is the most. So you think the, at best eight and four? Yeah, I think that's kind of their ceiling right now. 
Yeah, I'll eight and four, maybe nine and three. Looking at their schedule, but I'll say eight and four is definitely fair. I definitely see them making a bowl game. At worst, five hundred. But this why I had to watch the first couple of games, see how Jaden Daniels does in the offense, and I mean they're not your twenty nineteen LSU Tigers anymore, you know. So I feel like it's it's more than likely like a rebuilding year for them, but we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, like, are, do we really think they're going to compete with Alabama? Probably not. Yeah, no They shot. have Texas A&M <laughs> on the road. That's going to be rough. I don't think yeah, even Arkansas, I think, is a 10-win team this year. I don't think LSU is up to that level yet. Yeah, I mean, if I had to rank the SEC West off the top of my head, I'll have Bama number one, A&M two, Arkansas three, Mississippi no, – uh, Arkansas three, Mississippi four – then Auburn, Mississippi State. Yeah, LSU is last. Yeah. Yeah, I have Alabama, Arkansas, AM, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn, and LSU. Okay, so we have the Arkansas AM flip flop and Mississippi um, oh Auburn, Mississippi State flip flop. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it's gonna be tough. I mean, one bright spot for LSU is their star wide receiver, Kayshawn. Uh I can't even say, I don't want to pronounce his last name and mispronounce it, but if you know what I'm talking about, one, that one wide receiver they have is really good. I believe he wears number one or number seven. So he'll be a, he'll be a good target for Jaden Daniels this year. Yeah, and he's an All-American receiver, so whoever gets the starting job, he's going to make life a lot easier on. For, I'm Actually, well, yeah. Jayden, I feel like Jaden Daniels should definitely 100% get that job. I could be wrong. Nobody knows, but all time will certainly tell. For sure, it just sucks to see Brennan walking away. But you know, he's not a freshman anymore; he's five years in. So, absolutely, and like I said before, you know, it's better that he's making the decision rather than the decision being made for him. A hundred percent. Walk on on your own, on your own shoes. And speaking of quarterbacks, the Big Twelve quarterbacks have been discussed a lot lately mostly Quinn Ewers and the potential that he has so I kind of wanted to get into the top five big 12 quarterbacks um now full disclaimer for me Ewers does not make the list if you want to project going forward and talk about what it's going to be at the end of the season then sure I'm willing to bet that Ewers is a top five quarterback but right now he has not thrown a single college pass so he doesn't make my list but who would you have at number five it's funny that you say that because my number five is Quinn Ewers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, the expectations for Ewers are extremely high. Now, I'm not sure he's going to fully live up to the hype in his first year in a league that has become much better defensively. But he'll he'll have some major help with one of the best running backs in the country in Robinson and a real vertical threat in Xavier Worthy. You are standing at six foot three, around 200 pounds. He has all the tools and can make all the throws. Everything he does looks easy. And often it's like he's not even trying out there. He's long been viewed as the best high school quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence, with major expectations of one day being a number one NFL draft pick. Me personally, just looking at the list of quarterbacks in the Big 12, I had to throw Ewers at number five. It would have been kind of disrespectful anywhere above five because, like you say, he hasn't thrown a pass yet. But I'm all for the Ewers hype. 
I totally get where you're coming from, and I'm in on the Ewers hype too. But like I said, I can't put him above quarterbacks that have college experience yet. And I, and I, you know, respectfully agree with you on that. But I just, I just, the, that potential, I had to put him at number five for me personally. I just watching his high school film again and seeing he's he's definitely more than likely the top prospect quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence, as everybody says, like, I think he's a better high school prospect than Arch Manning. And everyone has wow. Arch Manning as a, as a perfect score. Yeah. I, I'm that big on yours. Wow. Okay. So you think yours is the guy for Texas going forward? Yeah. Yeah. Until Arch gets there and get, they battle it out, but I can see yours playing this year, playing next year as Arch comes in as a, a red shirt freshman, he red shirts and then off to the league. And then it's Arch. Arches at the head of the head of the quarter. So, yeah, I, I, I'm big on Quinn Ewers. He's he's definitely different. I could see that. I could see that. So my number five is also in the state of Texas. Uh, Tyler Shuck from Texas Tech. I think okay. he's got huge potential. Joey McGuire says it's a three way race for the starting quarterback job right now. I think Shuck ends up winning. Um, Zach Kitley, new offensive coordinator. He's going to be throwing for three, 400 yards every week. I think he's an X factor for Texas tech. And we talked about this on a previous show that it's kind of, you know, tech could be a threat week in a week out. I don't think they're going to win the conference. I think they finish eighth in the conference, but they could be the team that keeps an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma state out of the big 12 championship game. And I think if that happens, it's because of the quarterback play. And so he played the first four games last year for Texas Tech, and he had the collarbone injury against Texas, correct? Yes, that was a game where uh, Texas ended up winning 70 to 35, and it was much, much more of a disaster than the score would indicate. Yeah, uh, I, I like your number five. I mean, prior to that injury, he had over 800 yards and six scores to only three picks, and he was connecting on pretty much 70% of his passes. Um, I would easily could have easily put him as my number five instead of yours. But like I said, I'm just real big on a yours hype train. But you know, I like your number five. He he is a true good quarterback, um, Oregon transfer. And you know, before that injury, he was looking really good. So I think he will win a job as well. He has the right arm and should get a workout in that pass first scheme that's going down there on Texas Tech. And two of his interceptions last year were in the FCS game. Um, Stephen F. Austin, I believe it was, which was honestly one of the more aggravating quarterback games to watch because he was not going through progressions. He was staring receivers down, blatantly throwing in a double, sometimes triple coverage. If he can fix that issue, sky's the limit. Yeah, that that may have been a case of playing down to your competition. You know, (laughs) you're playing FCS. Yeah. Now, these guys aren't that good. I can fit that ball in there and, you know, a couple unfortunate throws. But, no, the talent's definitely there. Um, and that's a great number five. I'm second guessing, but I'm, I'm keeping yours at five. <laughs> I'm keeping so who's So who's your number four? So my number four is new Kansas State quarterback Adrian Martinez. That's also my number four. Nice. Okay, so we're on the same page now. Um, I feel like the former Nebraska Cornhusker should be an Excellent fit for K-State's offense, especially with a group of experienced receivers to throw through, throw through too, and a dynamic all-around running back in Deuce Vaughn. 
Now, Martinez, he has played in 39 career games. He's a vet. He has thrown for over 8,400 yards to go along with 45 touchdowns. And I'm pretty sure, as you know, he's all, he also has the ability to run with the potential to be one of the college football's most dynamic quarterbacks because he also has 2,300 rushing yards and 35 more scores. But even with those awesome dual-threat numbers, Martinez is only number four on my list because he has, a, he has to do a better job at limiting his mistakes. I mean, he has 30 career interceptions and over 30 fumbles at Nebraska. So those numbers, you know, they pop out at you, but he has to cut down on interceptions in those fumbles because he's a throw threat quarterback, in my opinion, which makes him number four not higher on my list. Yeah, and that's my exact problem with Martinez, too, is that he sometimes has more giveaways than Oprah. This guy, I mean, <laughs> he, he will just make play after play ridiculous. Like, there's nobody else in the country that could make that play. And then the next snap is just, what are you thinking? Who are you seeing? Um, if he can straighten that out, I think he could, and and this might be kind of high praise, he could be the most dynamic Big 12 quarterback we've seen since RG3. And I'm I'm there with you. Like we're on the same page. I think that this change of scenery and scheme will put him on track to finish with a big senior season. Now, will he win the Heisman? No, I don't think so. Will, will he be a first round NFL draft pick? No, but I think that he'll Martinez will have a real huge season this year, and he'll have his name in those conversations of top five to eight quarterbacks taken in this year's draft. Yeah, and I think leaving Nebraska is going to do nothing but help him, too. Of course, there's pressure to win at Kansas State, but he's not going to be under the microscope nearly as much as he was at a program like Nebraska. Hopefully that allows him to just be himself, not have to try to go out there and prove himself every play. Just let his ability do the talking. And if he does that, that's where their success is going to come in. Is it me or like, does it feel like he's been in college football for like eight years? I feel like every time I've turned on a Nebraska game since... 2014 he's been there i don't know maybe it's just me i feel like that is definitely possibility but don't forget nebraska also had taylor martinez as a quarterback as well uh maybe maybe that's just the marks the name martinez i just every time i turned around i was a martinez quarterback and i'm like uh, that's, no, a, this. <laughs> that's, that's a good name to have that's all you sure about you're right about that if you're a martinez in high school looking for a scholarship go to nebraska's camp <laughs> So who do you have for number three? Your number three quarterback in the Big 12. Number three, I have someone that you probably have higher, and that's Dylan Gabriel. Um, mm. he, was, he, was, he was great at UCF. I want to see what he could do consistently against the Power Five. How is he going to handle a defense like Baylor? How is he going to handle hard hitting like Oklahoma? How is mm. he going to handle an atmosphere like Texas or you know Oklahoma State? It's not going to be easy for him, but I think he has the talent to do it. Wow. So, okay. Okay. Dylan Gabriel is your number three. This yes. is, this, this is where things get tricky because Dylan Gabriel is definitely on my top five, but he's not number three. So how high do you have him? Uh, he's up there. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to save my argument on why I put Dylan Gabriel at a certain spot. Um, yeah, I'm going to save all that for when I, you know, list some. He may, he may, maybe at two or one. I don't, I don't want to reveal that right now. But uh, at number three, I'm assuming you may have this guy higher, or maybe you 
you don't have them on your list at all, and that's because of health problems. And I'm pretty sure you can probably guess who I'm I'm pointing to right now. Uh, JT Daniels of West Virginia. I have him. You have? Okay, so okay. Now, if Daniels is as good at showcase during parts of his, his career, then the Mountaineers should easily, easily have the best offense on Coach Brown's tenure. You already know what I'm going to say and what I just said and what most of college football would say. Health problems. That's the biggest concern with JT Daniels as he enters his third program in four years. Now, if he stays on the field, we could be talking about the most talented quarterback in the league. The arm talent is special, and the decision-making is elite. With the experienced playmakers he has at receiver and being under a Graham Harrell system once again, I feel like JT Daniels could, JT Daniels could post crazy numbers this year. To the point where I want to put him higher, but, you know, three programs in four years, health concerns, I got him at number three right now. Yeah, I have him at number two on my list, and injuries were also kind of under consideration here, but I think his ceiling is just insane. Um, West Virginia under Graham Harrell, obviously going to be a huge pass team, so I think that kind of adds to his appeal versus Gabriel. Um, yeah. I went a long time debating which one, two, which one, three. Like I said, the importance of the quarterback at West Virginia is going to be so much higher. Um, and and two, West Virginia being an up-and-coming program, if Oklahoma loses Gabriel, they're still going to be a talented team. They're still going to be good. They're still Oklahoma. If West Virginia loses JT Daniels, you're looking at the difference between a 7-8 win team and maybe a 4-5 win team. Yeah, I mean... To be honest with you, even though Georgia won last won it all last year, deep down in my heart, I still think that JT Daniels should have been at that quarterback one position. That's just me. Like, I to this day, I don't know, I don't understand how he was not the starting quarterback. Even dating back to USC as a freshman, I'm like, oh, this kid is gonna be first round draft pick for sure. I, I get the injury bug, but maybe because I'm not the biggest Stetson Bennett fan, not saying he's not good. But I just I was surprised to see that, you know, he was the quarterback one even when JT Daniels got healthy. But like you said, this this could be a crazy year for JT Daniels. And like you, if he would if he's not there, this West Virginia team wouldn't be talked about. So he's a big part of that program. And as as this list is getting down to getting close to number one, I can see where our, our list of, aligns and I can pretty much guess. Who's who's your number two? Who's your number one? And I'm pretty sure you can guess who's my number two, my number one. Yep. But uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I think I should say my number two first. <laughs> all right. I, I kind of have an idea. Go ahead. Uh, all right. Take a guess. Who do you think is my number two quarterback before I say it? I'm going to say you have Gabriel at one and Spencer Sanders at two. And I'm going to say that you have Spencer Sanders at one. And JT Daniels at two, correct? You would be correct. All right, so here it is. This is why I have Spencer number two and not number one. Mm. So I get it. He's the first team all Big 12 quarterback last year, and he's returning. He posted his best season in Stillwater last season. He threw for over 2,800 yards and 20 touchdowns. The dual threat is there. He had over 600 rushing yards and six more scores. And then on top of that, 
Yes, he did cap off his season on a high note with pretty much his best performance of the year. He threw for four touchdowns, over 370 yards against Oklahoma State in a 37-35 Fiesta Bowl win over Notre Dame. So you may ask, like, how most lists has him number one. And the reason why he's number two on my list and not number one is because, you know, I think Sanders still has plenty to work on, you know. The big thing that kept sticking out to me was the 12 interceptions he had last year, which is too high. And he needs more game-to-game consistency. But if he can cut down on those mistakes and find more consistency, he could without a doubt be the number one quarterback in the Big 12. And that's, you know, just the interceptions and that that just put him at number two for me. And I agree with everything you said. And my number one issue with Spencer Sanders is every time I watch him, I'm left wanting just a little bit more. Right. And I I think this is the year he finally puts it all together. Now, I know that is very hypocritical saying that I think he puts it all together and kind of projecting forward when I said I can't do that for Quinn Ewers. I get that. However, we've seen Sanders in big moments make big plays, whether especially last year, the comeback against Notre Dame. Yeah, he was he was huge in that. Yeah. So I think that he makes the jump this year. He's the most experienced Big 12 quarterback out there. Um, I think Oklahoma State is a legitimate Big 12 championship contender. And I think Sanders, we're finally going to watch this year. He's going to put it all together, finally. And I I, I agree with you. Um, But for him to be my number one, I just needed to to be done already. And, you know, this is just another year of repetition before the big leagues. But uh, right now, I just, you know, that. The Fiesta Bowl was crazy. Like, that game alone, I'm like, yeah, this guy's the Big 12, uh, <laughs> number one quarterback in the Big 12. But, you know, you just keep watching games and highlights and game film. I'm like, all right, the consistency isn't fully there yet, but I can see mm-hmm. it can easily be there. And that's the, that, that was pretty much the main reason why he was my number two. That's totally fair. So why, why, you, uh, why Gabriel at number one? All right. Gabriel at number one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, First off, for our Oklahoma fans out there, you know, losing two talented quarterbacks and Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, that's a tough way to start with a new head coach. But, you know, in my honest opinion, when you have Dylan Gabriel on your roster, they shouldn't sweat a thing. Now, I think Gabriel is poised to emerge as the top quarterback in the Big 12 after spending the last three seasons at UCF, as we all know. So just to run down some stats at UCF, he started as a true freshman in 2019. He threw for over 3,600 yards and 29 touchdowns to just seven picks. As a sophomore, he threw for 3,500 yards and 32 touchdowns. As a, like I said, as a, that was his sophomore year. And then the following year, he had a season-ending injury where he only played in three games. So in just pretty much two seasons of work, the kid has 8,000 yards and 70 touchdowns in his career. Now, I mean, yeah, anyone can write him off and say that he played at a smaller school in UCF. But now he's at Oklahoma and he's going to have a better offensive line. He's going to have better receivers. He's going to have better backs. Like, I think his numbers are just going to go be even more impressive because he's working with more. Even He's definitely playing against, you know, bigger, better talent. But he also has bigger, better talent 
on his side of the ball. And that's why I think that like his numbers are crazy to me right now. I think those numbers are going to go through the roof now because he's working with more as well as playing against more. I feel like Gabriel has good touch as well as the arm to stretch teams. And since he has coach Levy calling plays once again, that transition should be pretty easy because he played under him before allowing Gabriel to have opportunity for a fast start in 2022. And I actually see big things for him. Yeah. And I agree with everything you said and having Marvin Mims there as a receiver, his top target, no doubt that's going to help. But a name you mentioned, Jeff Levy, that is the X factor for Gabriel. Mm-hmm. He, he played for him his freshman year, went to Ole Miss after that. And we saw what Levy did down at that at Ole Miss. I think he has plenty of potential, especially Gabriel. No offense to the Big 12 defenses, but let's be honest. There's a difference between a Big 12 defense and an SEC defense. So I think he could replicate easily what we saw at Ole Miss, but with a better quarterback. Um, Gabriel is definitely going to be an interesting one to watch this year. My, yeah. my main problem with him is I think... Even if Oklahoma were to lose him, I still they're Oklahoma still. They're not, you know, like it's it's not a it's a huge loss, obviously, but it's not a season ending loss. Yeah, like it's it's, it's more of a team out there. Oklahoma It's not a one man show. I mean, we even saw that last year where they had to replace their starting quarterback with another quarterback, even though that was, it went from five star to five star. They still kept the boat rolling because it's a team is a, it's a unit in Oklahoma like. Every piece is important, like on a chessboard. But um, yeah, I'm just at first when Dylan Gabriel transferred to Oklahoma, I was like, ah, uh, they're gonna go down a little bit. But you know, I checked out his game, his UCF film, and the numbers pop out at you. And that that was another thing. Even though I mean, smaller school UCF, but his numbers are just like way overwhelming than Spencer Sam- Sanders' numbers at Oklahoma State. So that was like. Seeing those numbers comparison and then watching film, I felt like Gabriel was more consistent, um, had less interceptions. But like you said, he's playing at lesser comp- competition. But my biggest thing is I feel like, yeah, he's playing against better competition now, but he has a Marvin Mims now. I, he never had a Marvin Mims at UCF. So, Absolutely. Um, that, that's that's going to be a big thing. And like you said, the key thing is, you know, that transition is going to be easy for him. He has coaching he has a culture relationship that he had early in his career, and I'm pretty, it's going to be a fast start for Oklahoma. I can see it. Fast start. So you might actually be talking me into putting Gabriel at number one here. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, too, if it's not a fast start for Oklahoma, there's a big problem because the first two games are UTEP and Kent State. So they need oh, yeah. to get everything figured out right off the bat. You're not going to get to – no offense, guys. Two easier games when you're Oklahoma, <laughs> unless you go out and schedule some high school in Texas. Again, <laughs> no offense, Utah, but let's be honest here. Um, but yeah, that would get him right on track. Then you go to Nebraska, which that will be his first real true test, big road test in a Sooners uniform. That one's going to be interesting because of how close Nebraska played him last year. Nebraska is going to be better this year. How does Gabriel respond in that type of pressure? Oh, yes, that's by far. That game will write how Oklahoma season will go, because the first two games, like you said, no offense. No, you know, what? all offense. Utah is <laughs> <Penn State, laughs> their warm up games like we're expecting 
the starters to be out by the beginning of the fourth quarter. So week three, Oklahoma, it better be a well-oiled machine. Like things are clicking. There's no more mistakes. If that game is bumpy week three against Nebraska, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe Spencer Sanders should be number one, you know? So, uh, yeah, my I, money, I totally agree with that. Yeah, my, my money's on Gabriel, though, in Oklahoma. And I can see him running off a couple of wins before things get bumpy. Yeah, he's he's definitely going to have to at least set the tone for the Oklahoma offense. And things for Nebraska aren't really that much more difficult. Northwestern and Ireland to open the season is going to be interesting. Northwestern probably not going to be good, but still you're in Ireland. Who knows what's going to happen there? And right. then North Dakota and Georgia Southern. And who knows what to make of Georgia Southern this year with the transition from the uh, the triple option. So, okay, just looking at their schedule, like you said, UTEP, Kent State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, TCU, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa State, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Do you see Oklahoma in the college football playoffs this year? I do not. I will agree with you on that. I, I, I have Oklahoma going 10-2. and two. Um, I think they play Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. Um, 10 and 2, especially in the Big 12, is not good enough to cut it into the playoff. Yeah. Do you see Dylan Gabriel having a big time season and, you know, sitting down at the Heisman Trophy ceremony? I don't see him going to the Heisman. Um, and it's, it's not going to be a slight against him. I think he'll be in the top 10, but I don't think he'll get that invite to New York City. Okay. So I said that I have Oklahoma going 10 and two, and I'd like your opinion on this because I think they lose to Texas in the Red River shootout, which is totally plausible. Yeah. One that I'm kind of looking at as the upset is one of our other top five quarterbacks at West Virginia. I think West Virginia beats them in that game. Not only is it a road game, the week before is Baylor. That's going to be tough physical game. The week after, Bedlam. Are they going to be beaten down and looking ahead? Because if they are, West Virginia is not the team to do that to. Yeah, because that Baylor game is definitely going to be physical. <laughs> um, yeah. I West Virginia with JT Daniels. For me to see that as an upset, I would have to see how West Virginia's season is going early on. I mean, just look at their schedule. Take Kansas, Towson. Virginia Tech, Texas, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Iowa State. So if they can get out of that early on schedule before going against Oklahoma and their spirits are high and they're having a magical season and JT Daniels is doing a healthy JT Daniels things, I can definitely see them being Oklahoma because, like I stated, when we did our top five quarterbacks, JT Daniels can easily be the number one quarterback in this conference. So... Depending on, depending on how his season is going and if he's just torching it, torching up the field and killing teams, without a doubt, I can see Oklahoma losing that game. 
And I'll be perfectly honest with you. If this game was anywhere else on the schedule, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Oklahoma would win. It's more so a combination of a road environment, a team that's not going to be great, but they're going to be good enough and sandwiched in between two huge games that will probably decide the conference. For sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is taking like a third look at Oklahoma's schedule. It can it can be pretty tough, especially since you have a new head coach and a new quarterback. It can definitely be tough because any one of these games, like the Texas game, like it, that could be a potential loss. Um, Baylor, West Virginia. No, I think they'll beat Nebraska. I think they'll beat Kansas State. TCU might be tough. Yeah, Oklahoma, it might have a, <laughs> a couple nail biters, or I, I definitely see them still finishing with at minimum nine wins. But um, I'm looking forward to that West Virginia game. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. And you mentioned TCU. TCU, to me, is a sleeper in the Big 12. Um, I don't necessarily think they can win the conference, but I think the Big 12 is probably the most straightforward conference this year in college football. It's going to be some combination of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, maybe Texas if they live up to the hype finally. And then you kind of have that next tier. I think of that next tier and and Kansas State, I think, is somewhere in the middle. Like, I'm not totally on the Kansas State hype train. I think they're somewhere between Texas and the next tier. But if you look like TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, those four are just going to beat up on each other when they play. And I think all of them could go anywhere from eight and four to three and nine. I mean, that's I know that's quite a difference. But TCU with Max Duggan, who was a guy that very well could be on this top five quarterback list. New coach, but of those kind of bottom tier Big 12 teams, TCU looks like the biggest sleeper there to me. What do you think? Oh, I'm all for the the TCU uh, hype. Uh, Max Duggan, senior quarterback. Good, great, good quarterback. But his number one receiver, receiver in Quentin Johnson the 6'4", 212-pound deep threat, he's going to be a big target for Max. So I feel like that will be one of the top quarterback-receiver con- uh, duos in the whole conference, and I'm not sleeping on TCU whatsoever. Who is your sleeper in the Big 12? My sleeper in the Big 12 is actually the Texas Longhorns. Okay, okay. Um, Texas could have easily beat Oklahoma last year, but they blew a big lead. And they actually blew numerous big leads last year, which ended up being a a six-game losing streak. Um, Texas is my sleeper team because even though they're more than likely will lose to Alabama early on, they could still end up in the Big 12 title. The reason why I'm saying this is because the two teams who were in the title game last year was Oklahoma State and Baylor. And Texas was in position to actually beat both those two, both those teams last last year, but blew leads. Um, Texas, they have a top running back from in the country, in my opinion, and a top tier quarterback who I think is going to take the college football world by storm. Now, maybe a lot of people won't view them as a sleeper team. The reason why I still view them is because they lost six straight games last year and, you know, yeah. things went south real fast. But I think that, you know, all that 
could blow over with their new quarterback, that running back room. And like I said, they were in close games all year. You know, a lot of those, the six-game losing streak, they were, they were so close, they could have won the game. That Oklahoma game pretty much was like the nail in the coffin. They just kept going south, but they were there every single game. And it's kind of big when the two teams who were in the Big 12 title they were beating them at one point during the game, but just let it slip by. So Texas Longhorns are my sleeper team in the Big 12. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that. The main reason I didn't have Texas as sleeper is I don't think they are a sleeper. Like to me, they kind of, I don't I wouldn't put them in the top three, but they're a, a solid fourth team that any given week could win a game in the conference. Yeah. I, I mean, they're good enough to make the conference championship game. Can they get over the mental mistakes? Can they hold a lead? They just routinely found new ways to lose last year, and they can't do that again this year. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I agree with you. They're not really viewed as a sleeper team, but just losing six games straight is like, all right, nobody's thinking highly of this team anymore. Everybody says Texas is back every year, and they're never back. Well, there's a small percentage of me that says maybe they are back, so that's why they're my sleeper team. I think Texas is coming back. They're not back yet, but they're getting there. Yeah, yeah, and I will fight you on that. I, I would not fight you on that, for sure. Who was your sleeper team in the Big 12? Uh, TCU. TCU. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with the Frogs. I think they can be, they can, they can do some damage in the bottom half of that conference, maybe knock off a team like Oklahoma State, maybe Texas. Um, they're going to make things interesting. I don't think they're a conference title threat yet, but they'll be, they'll be fun to watch. Um, you know I'm high on Texas Tech, too. But I just don't think they're there yet. Um, that might be kind of too far out there pick. So I'll go with TCU. And yeah, we just talked about TCU with their quarterback, the wide receiver, strong physical team. Mm, I would say that I personally feel Texas will have a, a better season than them, which is going against my argument of them being a sleeper team. <laughs> but uh <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Texas is uh, definitely going to have a better year than TCU. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> TCU should have been my answer as well. But I mean, I don't know. I, I just view everybody thinking that Texas is, they all, they're, I hate to say this because I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, but, you know, they're the Dallas Cowboys. Like, they always say they're going to the Super Bowl. They're always saying they're the best team, and nothing ever happens. That's how I feel like people view Texas in college football. And, I'm being a Dallas Cowboy fan and saying, no, the Longhorns, I think they, they have something cooking this year. You just put the thought of Joe Buck calling a Texas Longhorns game in my head, and that is <laughs> pretty slight. My ears hurt just thinking about that. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's go around the rest of the Power Five here and talk about some dark horses in the conference. Let's go to the ACC next. Who do you have there? ACC. I had the North. North Carolina State Wolfpack. Okay. Uh, last year, the Wolfpack were the, was the first ACC team to beat the top dog at the time, Clemson. Um, they have quarterback Devin Leary back, and he has a solid set of wide receivers to throw through. Now, I'm a huge Devin Leary fan. I think Devin Leary is a top five quarterback in all of college football. I agree. Um, and then to go along with that, you know, the defense – could be outstanding as well. They have a top-notch linebacker and defensive back room. And if you remember, they were a three-point loss to Wake Forest from playing in the ACC title game. 
The only scary part of their schedule is they have to go to Death Valley to play Clemson this year. But if they can sneak or steal another one from Clemson this year, they'll be set up nicely for a shot at the ACC title game once again and control their own destiny. So at the end of the day, they have a top-tier quarterback. They have a pretty strong defense and a not-so-strong strip of schedule. That's a recipe for success in my book. Here's my problem with you calling them a dark horse. Your dark horse is my ACC champion. I think mm. NC State actually wins the whole conference this year. Really? I think, they, I think they beat Miami in the conference championship game. Wow, okay. I'm, I'm that high on them, and they're possibly a, a buster into the college football playoff as well. Wow. I see. I don't think a lot of people view NC State as a, you know, like one of those top teams where, hey, they might be in a college football championship. That's why I had them as my dark horse because, like, this may sound biased, but, like, Devin Leary, I know Devin Leary. He went to my high school, actually. And so it may be a little biased there, but if you really watch the kid play, he's really good. <laughs> so, but you never, you rarely hear his name when it comes to the top quarterbacks in all of college football. And if you do, it's somebody who does his research thoroughly. Yeah. So I, the only reason why I put him on my list, because like I said, most, most people won't talk about the Wolfpack as highly as me and you, as we do. Yeah, but, um, and the sooner, the sooner people start respecting North Carolina State the way they should and Devin Leary, the better off everybody's going to be. Dave Doran has quietly built a power down there. They've overtaken North Carolina. They're, they're the best team in the state of North Carolina, um, potentially in both Carolinas, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're so I guess maybe in a way they are my sleeper because I have them winning the conference. Yeah. I just can't call them a sleeper because I think they're going to be that good. And you know they've they've been getting a little bit of hype, not really ACC championship hype, but they've been getting hyped up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but I just don't think, in my opinion, like to the point where I can sneak away and call them a dark horse. I can, I feel like I could still sneak away with that dark horse <laughs> <laughs> description on them. So my my dark horse in the ACC is Virginia Tech, and again, I don't think they're going to win the conference. I originally had Boston College, but the ACC Atlantic is so tough. You have Clemson, you have North Carolina State. Um, it, that's a brutal run. But Virginia Tech, they haven't been as bad as people have said they are. They just haven't been as good as Virginia Tech usually is. And there's such a standard of excellence down there that Frank Beamer brought. Um, they haven't lived up to it in a while, but there's talent on the team. They're on the easier side of the conference. Even with a new coach and a new system, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna be good. Brent Pry is gonna fix the defense. The offense might be a little rough, but they're definitely a a wild card. I'll say. I think they they could win as many as eight nine games this year. Yeah, this is def- that's definitely a dark horse because um, if I'm not mistaken, I I think they received zero votes to win an ACC, but they did receive. I think three votes to win the Coastal Division. Um, but in my opinion, this I think this is a, rebuild, a rebuilding job for Pride. Um, a year of transition both on the field and in recruiting. Uh, so that's, that's a pretty good dark horse um, that you got going on there. I do think, obviously, I feel like there will be a bowl, uh, bowl game team, but ah, I just don't see them doing too much to be considered a dark horse. 
Because I look at, lot, look at the other teams in that division, though. I mean, Duke is Duke. Georgia Tech's rebuilding since they beat Cumberland a hundred years ago. <laughs> Virginia is a wild card. New coach, new system. Still have Brennan Armstrong. North Carolina. I mean, we all know my thoughts on them. And then you got Pitt, who, you know, don't get me started on Pat Narduzzi and what he did to Mark Whipple. And then Miami, who I think is probably the class of the division right now. But it's hard to look at any of those games, maybe short of Miami, and say, all right, that's definitely a loss. Yeah, just looking at it, um, Miami on the coastal side, definitely Miami is number one. Wow, just looking at this one on the ACC Twitter account, they have Miami number one on the coastal, Pitt, UNC, Virginia, and they have Virginia Tech five. Now, no disrespect to Georgia Tech and Duke, but we're not going to consider them right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I definitely think Virginia Tech will have a better year than Virginia. UNC, we, we feel the same way about those guys. Pitt, I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And to be honest with you, I'm not even buying the U. I, I, they might be the best on that side of the division, but I just, when it comes to Miami, uh, I, I, in my honest opinion, I feel like Miami is the same way people feel about Texas. Like, I just, it's, it's, they never do enough for me or they never get over that hump or they might have a good year, but the next year they stink. So if we're looking at the ACC, on the Atlantic side, I have my dark horse, which is weird to say. Yes, yeah, the champion. And then <laughs> <laughs> on the coastal side, I think Pitt, uh, uh, Pitt or Virginia Tech. Yeah, you might be onto something with that one. So right now, the Vegas over/under on the win total is five and a half for Virginia Tech. Where are you going with that? Wow, I'm going over. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm definitely over. taking the over. I think the basement is six wins. So I would definitely wow. go over there. Uh, I might make some money this year. <laughs> Five <laughs> that. Wow, they're disrespectful. <laughs> they being real. What do they have? UNC. So North Carolina is at seven and a half right now. Is their over under? I'm going. Mm, Josh Downs, wide receiver. See, that's tricky because I feel like a seven to five season is realistic. So they're, they know what they're doing right now. But okay. I'll, I'll go under. I'm taking the under as well. I got them at six and six. Yeah, I'll go under. All right. So how about we move to the Pac-12 now? Who's your, uh, who's your Pac-12 dark horse there? My Pac-12 dark horse will have to be the UCLA Bruins. Wow. Okay. It's not where I thought you were going to go. Really? Yeah, I, I honestly kind of thought we might have the same team here. Uh, all right, so before you tell me your team then, because I want I want to have to switch my answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going with UCLA. I mean, I feel pretty good about this Bruins team because of some key defense line transfers, a veteran quarterback in DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and they honestly have one of the best running backs in the country in Zach Park Charbonnet. They have one of the most favorable schedules this year, as well as they just have four road games and eight at home. Now, they get both Utah and USC at home, which is huge. A road trip to Oregon will be tough, 
But if they can handle business, a shot at a conference title isn't far-fetched. Uh, UCA, UCLA has gone from three wins to four wins to eight wins in the last three full seasons. I think it's time for them to make another leap to get that double-digit win total. Wow. But now, as I'm... Okay, so the fact that you said, wow, you're, you, you're, you're surprised by that, right? I'm not surprised. It's just weird hearing it after watching UCLA football over the last five years. Right, right. So uh, my my explanation for a dark horse is going somewhere, right? They the last yeah you nailed seasons, this one. Yeah, the last four three four seasons they went from three to four to eight, but you just watch them, nobody would have known. So, and like I said, their schedule is real favorite. They have four road games, eight at home, and they get both Utah and USC at home. They might be on to something this year. Before last year, the last time UCLA was really relevant was the comeback win against Texas A&M, and that was in 2017. So it's been a minute for the Bruins. Exactly. 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 You see where I'm going? You see where I'm going here? I like your pick a lot, and I'm high on UCLA as well. I have them at nine wins. Um, okay. So I, I really can't argue much there. They're, that's a solid pick. Yeah. I mean, it was te- definitely tough, but who, who, who were you thinking? So my dark horse is a team that, again, not many people are talking about, but I have a finishing third in the conference, and that's Oregon State. Oregon. Oh, okay. Wow. So I, I have them going seven and two in the conference as well. Um, the, the defense is going to be better this year. Um, the secondary, they were 92nd in passing yards per game allowed last year. I think they could become a top 50 unit because they have three of the four guys coming back. Um, Boise and Fresno to open the season is dangerous. If they lose both of those games and there's big trouble there, I don't see why they can't win both of those games. Honestly, they have a really good offense. They might not lead the PAC 12 in offense with uh, a new regime in Los Angeles, but Oregon state is a legitimate threat this year. Um, I, I think they're the definition of a dark horse. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. That might be a better pick than my pick. <laughs> <laughs> wow, because I wasn't even thinking about Oregon State. But now that you brought that to my attention, um, you know, I I'm still going to stay with UCLA, but Oregon State will be a close second for me. I think they will have a pretty decent year this year, but I don't know. I just, I'll be honest, I don't have much attention on Oregon State. Um, they're deep. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. That, that's good. You got, you got my, I'm, my mind is boggling right now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I have wow. Right now, I have them right now losing at Fresno State. Fresno State's going to be really good. Jay Kaner's back. Um, and then they lose at Utah and ending the season against Oregon. So that's nine and three and seven and two in the conference. I think, like I said, I think they finished third in the conference. Um, and in the preview magazines, they're kind of picked mid tier, but most of the magazines also still have them ranked by division, which divisions were eliminated this year. I think that could help a team like Oregon State even make it look like they finished higher than they really did. Um, finishing, you know, fourth in the conference is better than finishing third in your division. Same record, same result, whatever. 
But I think that this year's setup for success is could be the best year for Oregon State since the uh, the 2001 team. Yeah, it's, it's, doing, it's looking at it right now. So they beat USC last year 45 to 27. And they went seven and six. They beat Utah as well. And they beat Utah. Mm. Wow. And it says that, okay, they're loaded with experience with plenty of returning all-stars. Yep. They're secondary, huh? Oh, Chance, okay. Nolan, Chance Nolan at quarterback. He's another guy to keep your eye on. He might be a dark horse Heisman contender. I don't think he gets to New York either, but he can really run the offense. He's got good command of it. One of the better quarterbacks they've had there in a while. Um, I hate to go back to Sean Mannion, um, but he's the last good one I could be thinking of. And I'm sorry if I'm forgetting someone big. I probably am. But he might be the best quarterback they've had in a long time, even before Mannion. Yeah, Oregon State, this is a great pick. This definitely snuck right by me. <laughs> this, this, this is, is it, is it too late to change my answer? <laughs> <laughs> So consider consider this payback for what you did for the top ten uh, or the top five Big Twelve quarterbacks. Yeah, you got this one because I'm like, <laughs> wow, like now this is a great pick. Um, your explanation is there. I we can just go ahead and edit my answer out. I didn't, I never see <laughs> LA is I'm I'm here with you in Oregon State. This is a great pick. I'm here. Oh, with you. okay. I'm I'm glad you've come to the dark side. <laughs> so, I feel so since we're on this. Since we're on the same page in the Pac-12, I think the Big Ten might be a similar situation because I think there's a a pretty obvious sleeper there. Who who do you got there? To be honest with you, I don't think we'll have the same answer for this one. I went back and forth. Um, I actually I went with Penn State. Okay. So <laughs> you're okay tells me that you don't have Penn State. <laughs> <laughs> I so, do not have Penn State. All right, so Penn State. Um, as we all know, James Franklin, awesome recruiter. He has brought in a top-tier recruiting class of each of the past couple of years. So the dip and Tyler should be the least of the worries for all Penn State fans. Last year, they were ranked as high as number four in the country before they lost to that, that close battle to Iowa in which they lost their starting quarterback. And, you know, things went downhill after that. They, they had some close losses down the stretch. And, you know... Me saying they were number four in the country last year doesn't sound like a dark horse to me, but I just feel like once their season ended, I think they lost what, a total of six games. I feel like a lot of people count out Penn State, even when there was speculation that James Franklin might leave Penn State to go to USC. And I honestly, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think people view as view, view Penn State as a you know a threat for this upcoming year. Um, but the reason why I think there are dark horse because they have a tough schedule this year, and I think they'll still come out on top with a pretty good eight to ten one season. Their tough games are they play Auburn and Michigan away, and they play Ohio State and Michigan State home. I feel like in order for Penn State to be good this year and have a good record, they'll have to develop a strong run game, who I think will be led by their true freshman Singleton. This could this could be a very successful Penn State season that they almost had last year before losing the starting quarterback. So at the, end of, at the end of it, the reason why I'm picking Penn State is, you know, towards the end, they started off real hot last year, ended terrible. 
The year before that, during the 2020 year, they were terrible. And I feel like some people are, they don't view them as, you know, oh, we got to get ready for Penn State. That's going to be a good game. I feel like they're being counted out. And I think that this year, they're going to hit a lot of teams in the mouth. Absolutely. And anytime you're in the same conference as an 11-win team, possibly the second-ranked team going into the season and a playoff team from last year, let alone the same division, you're absolutely considered a dark horse. And that's exactly what Penn State is. I think Penn State's going to be good this year, too. I think this is finally the year they get back to being Penn State. Um, I got them at nine wins. I think they're going to have a very successful season. Like you said, tough schedule, um, but experienced quarterback. The defense should be better. Um, got to work on the offense, though. They they need that running game to come back. Oh, for sure. And I saw this one highlight on Twitter. <laughs> Their freshman running back ran somebody smooth over. And I'm like, oh, I might be a Penn State fan now. But um, I was <laughs> I always had my eye on Penn State. It sucked last year seeing their starting quarterback go down. It sucked the year before that during the COVID season where they just looked horrible. But you know I have high hopes for Penn State this year. But who is your sleeper for this conference? My sleeper is a team that I was high on last year, um, and I'm going back to the well this year. Minnesota. Minnesota. They- okay. I think they're going to be really good, um, experienced quarterback Tanner Morgan. Muhammad Ibrahim's back. Don't forget what he did against Ohio State last year before he got hurt. He was explosive. That game was very close, and it was all because of him. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're, the, the, the lines worry me, both lines. They need to be rebuilt. They lost a lot. I don't think you know they're talked about enough and it would not at all surprise me if that game in wisconsin at the end of the season determines the division champion yeah they had a deep stable of running backs but that that was trimmed down due to transfers but like you said the return of mohammed from a torn achilles gives minnesota one of the top rushers in the big 10 um the top five uh, statistical receiving options are back including Almond Bell, who had 36 catches last year. Dylan Wright, who was who averaged 20.3 per catch. And they have a pretty nice top interior offensive lineman in their center. So I was definitely big on Minnesota last year. But like you said, seeing their star running back go down kind of killed them. And I took my eye off them. But I think they will have a good season as well. Um, I think I'm going to keep my Penn State pick for this for this conference. But no, okay. Minnesota is definitely um, just looking at their roster. Their defense is in better shape. Yeah, this is definitely a good pick. But yeah, I'm going to stick with Penn State this time. You, you, you're you not getting me this time. Minnesota has six starters back on offense this year. They need to get better just about everywhere. Of course, they will with rushing. They were a good rushing team last year, despite the losses they had. But they need to get better there. Seven starters back on a defense that in scoring – was sixth in the nation rushing was eighth passing was eighth and total defense was third so if you're going to sleep on the minnesota defense and just pass over them you're again sadly mistaken minnesota is going to play a tough physical game of football they're going to run i think really effectively tanner morgan needs to kind of step his game up a little bit really take control of certain games i think he can do that and like i said i think they're a contender in the division yeah, with good quarterback play, 
an awesome running back. And just looking at their defense, like you said, they were ranked second in the Big Ten in scoring defense at only 17.3 points per game and fourth in yards per play at 4.86. That's a recipe for something good. You know, that's, that's a good season happening, waiting to happen. So long as their running back stays healthy, decent quarterback play, and that Minnesota defense can keep their scoring defense to where it was at last year, I'm all for it. Yeah, and I don't think when you bring up Minnesota, people people are probably going to laugh at you. I don't think they think of Minnesota as this great elite defensive team, but stats are right there. They were good. They had rough moments, yes. Every defense does short of Alabama and Georgia, but this is a legit team this year. Watch out for them. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they finished ranking the top 10 this season. I'm going to have to turn left on that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have and a good I, year, but ah, top ten, ah, I don't know. No, I totally understand that. I definitely get that. I'm I'm going right back to last year. I had them at ten wins. This year, I have them at ten wins as well. Yeah, just looking at the West Division, they have Wisconsin number one. They have Purdue number two, Iowa three, and then Minnesota at four. So. To be honest with you, I can see them fighting out with Wisconsin for that Western Division title. I think they beat Iowa this year for the first time in a long time. I think they beat Michigan State as well, which might surprise people. But I think they slip up against Nebraska. I can see them being Iowa. Michigan State, I don't know. I think Michigan State gets them. I see them beating Nebraska, actually. Okay, so we're kind of... We're kind of flip-flop there. Yeah. I just, I mean, I know Scott Frost is on the hot seat. This is make it or break it here, but I just don't see, I mean, they got the transfer quarterback in, uh, the Texas quarterback, but I just don't see Scott Frost making it happen in Nebraska. So I think Minnesota will beat Nebraska, definitely. So Minnesota's over-under on win total is seven and a half. Where are you there? I will go over at eight and four. Okay. That's that's very reasonable. And you, you got them at ten and two, you're saying? Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, I think I think best case scenario, ten wins, worst case seven. I have them here. This best case is twelve and oh, I think. I think they could be that good. Wow. I don't think I don't think they do it, but I think they could definitely I mean the the out of conference schedule is not at all tough. The Big Twelve or the Big Ten West is going to be up and down. Another one where pretty much anybody could beat anybody on any given week, except for Northwestern. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but there, I, I I would go there. Um, worst case, I think is seven and five. I would say if Tanner Morgan can have the type of season he had in 2019 in which he threw for over 3,200 yards and 30 touchdowns, I'm there with you. I'm not at undefeated there with you, but I'm there 11-1, and 10-2. and two. Okay, okay. I, and I, we, we can agree to disagree with that one. <laughs> and, and your pick was Penn State. Their over-under is 8.5. See, that's tough, see? Ah. I'll go over though. I'll, I'll I'll say nine and three. Yep, that's what I have as well. I'll say nine and three. All right, and let's uh, let's wrap up in the SEC here. Who's your SEC dark horse? So my SEC dark horse 
almost by default, my sleeper team is Missouri. Because before I even explain myself, is there really a sleeper team in the SEC nowadays? I mean, Kentucky was my sleeper team for a couple of years, but they don't fit it, fit it at this point anymore. Everyone is sort of big on Tennessee and Ole Miss this year. And even though Mississippi State and Arkansas are in the SEC West, people expect them to be interesting rather than a sleeper. Missouri wins most of the games it's supposed to. They lose most of the games it's supposed to. They always finish around 500. I mean, over the last seven years, they were 42 and 43. There could be some small hope for the Tigers as head coach Drinkwitz, you know, he just he stepped up when it comes to recruiting, including a five-star true freshman receiver and Luther Burden this past year. There is more talent on the Tigers' offense with potentially the best group of skill parts they had in several years. And the defense that got torched last year should be a whole lot better as well. Thanks to experience, the transfer portal, and an above-average group of defense ends. And that's my SEC sleeper team. It was hard to pick. I feel like nobody sleeps on SEC teams nowadays. The teams that they were to put a time with sleeping on, they're being considered good. Your Tennessees of the world, your old misses. So uh, it was tough. I don't like my pick, but I had to choose somebody. And by default, they landed on Missouri. I think I'm still sitting here in stunned silence because I, I really <laughs> disagree with that one. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Missouri's going to be that good, but they they certainly qualify as a dark horse team. Um, like you said, it's hard it's hard to pick a sleeper in the SEC when everybody's just so good. I mean, right. you could take any number of these teams, move them over to any conference, and they're at least a threat there. Um, exactly. <laughs> Missouri's got a lot good going for it, but again, I think it's it's not so much that they don't have the pieces. I think that just everybody around them is better. Um and and that's nothing against Missouri. You're in the SEC, you're going to get that. Um unless you're Georgia or Alabama, you're just there's going to be teams that are better or the same. Um my sleeper is in the SEC East as well. I wanted to go Arkansas, but I don't think they're a sleeper anymore. I don't think Tennessee is at all. And I don't right. think Kentucky is either. Kentucky's coming off a 10-win season. Right. So, again, by default, I'm going with South Carolina. South. Oh, okay. 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 They were, they were good last year in the first year of a new system. Now they have Spencer Rattler coming in, who was a better quarterback than anybody they had on their roster this year. It's so his right. second year in the system – I think that they could make some noise in that division. I only have them at six and six, but like you said, it's hard to find a team to say, all right, these guys aren't being talked about. Even South Carolina is getting some hype around them. But I, I would, again, by default, that's kind of where I go. So last year, they finished fifth in the division with a seven and six record and three and five marking conference play. And then they picked up their final one of the season with a 38 to 21 victory over North Carolina in their bowl game. I would say that the, the sole reason why, like, we, it's hard at SEC. Like, come on, come on, guys. SEC, like you said, they can go to any other conference and pretty much be a leader of the pack. The main reason why I chose Missouri is because nobody, I mean, no, not even Missouri fans, are expecting them to be over 500. And, like, yep. it's, all, it, it's in the numbers. So the sole reason why I chose them as my sleeper team is because I feel like instead of going six and six, they'll be seven and five or 
Yeah, seven if I'm not giving him eight wins. So I'm saying that instead of being average, I feel like Missouri, there'll be one game above 500. That's how hard this pick was because I'm, it's like you said, the Tennessees, the Ole Misses, the Kentuckys, people are expecting things out of these teams nowadays. You know, like Kentucky was real good last year. Tennessee has an awesome quarterback. Arkansas has a dual threat quarterback. You know, I'm expecting those teams to go eight and four, nine and threes, be competitive. Yep. Missouri is like, ah, uh, average. They come on the TV. I, I turn the channel. You know, <laughs> if they're playing FC, FC, FCS team, they better win. If they're playing Alabama, it's a loss. It's like, it's expected. But I feel like, you know, with the recruiting that they have done, and, you know, they have a, they got a five-star receiver last year. And I don't know if you know who Luther Burton is. The kid is, I don't know why he chose Missouri. That's how good he is. Yep. So I can see them sneaking the one win that they were supposed to lose, which pissed them at that 7-5 to five mark. And it breaks the, you know, the, the numbers that they usually put up at 500. And when it comes to South Carolina, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they went 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three because they have those seasons where they're 9-3, and three, then they're 6-6, six and six, and then they're 10-2, and two, and then they're 8-4. and four. Like, when it comes to South Carolina, especially them bringing in Spencer Rattler, I'm kind of expecting them to have a more than decent year. But at the same time, nobody else is. So I, that's why I do agree with your pick that, you know what? Nobody's really expecting South Carolina to be that team to look out for. But everybody knows who their quarterback is, and that quarterback can potentially make some noise. So, I mean, I think the Gamecocks are, are a great pick. I'm just hoping that Missouri can stop being average and be one game above average. And that one game to be above average might actually come against South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> the, the edge that I give Missouri is the schedule. South Carolina's schedule is absolutely brutal. The SEC crossover games are at Arkansas and hosting Texas A&M. That is unforgiving. Yeah. Then you got to remember you play Georgia. The final three-game stretch of the year is at Florida, hosting Tennessee, and then at Clemson. That's just about as brutal as it gets. And you got to throw at Kentucky in there also. The interesting game for Missouri this year, I think, is going to be at Kansas State, an old-school Big 12 showdown. Who do yeah. you think would win that game? Kansas State. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a game that Missouri actually... Mm. Don't feel bad. I flipped Fafa in this game a thousand times. Right, yeah. I had to, It was a quick answer, but now I'm thinking. Hmm... I'm going to go. I'm at, I'm going to go Missouri. I think. What what week is that game? Do you know off the top of your head? That's week two. Week two. I think that might be one of those games where their star true freshman receiver just you know takes over because the kid is really good. Like I'm I'm being honest. I don't understand why he chose Missouri, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> I feel like that could be a game like he takes over by himself. Uh, I got Missouri taking the win, which, you know, further explains why they're my dark horse, because they're winning games like that now. Yep. Missouri's crossover games, they also have Arkansas. But instead of um, Texas A&M, their crossover is at Auburn. That's significantly easier than Texas A&M. Yeah. They do have a back-to-back stretch where they host Georgia and play at Florida. They might come out a little worse after that series. 
but they host Kentucky, they host Arkansas, um, Louisiana Tech and Abilene Christian are the other two non-conference games. Those should be wins. I, I, I can definitely see where Missouri finally breaks through and gets that seventh win. Right. So, and that's just looking at the schedule and seeing their pass. I'm like, you know what? They might break this trend. <laughs> so they're my dark horse. Yep. That, easy, easy math. <laughs> that's the best I have for you for the SEC because, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, Looking at the SEC is just so tough, you know. And even, you know, I feel like maybe not for you, but I feel like South Carolina would have been a tough decision because, you know, South Carolina is usually really good or not good at all. And yep. for a team to be so average year after year after year is like, all right, let's be something besides average. And they're my they're my pick. Hopefully that they don't prove me wrong, but uh. Yep, the Missouri, Mizzou. Crazy enough, I said that myself. Yep, and the other team you can consider from the SEC is Mississippi State. The problem with them mm-hmm. is from from week to week, you have absolutely no idea what you're going to get, and that's just a Mike Leach offense. Yeah, he's had successful seasons, but he could just as easily go out there and beat a Texas A&M or an Arkansas, and then the following week fall flat on his face against Auburn or Missouri or South Carolina. So you have no idea what you're going to get, and that's a very risky pick. Yeah, I had to stay away from that Mississippi pick. Like you said, they can light somebody up one one week. The next week, they get lit up, and it's like, what happened? Like, is this the same team? So yep. th- that was kind of scary for me to even attempt to explain myself with the Mississippi, Mississippi <laughs> State Bulldogs. I that's that why I, I would advise if there's any bettors out there, never bet on air raid games. Never right. bet the air raid and never bet Army Navy. <laughs> Army Navy is a great one. No, don't touch that game. Yeah, no, that that is usually if and if you ha- if you really really want to bet that game, just take the under. You're better off. Exactly. <laughs> but again, I'm not touching those games. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I think uh, I think that's all we have for this week. Is there anything you uh, you want to add? Want to talk about anything? Uh, no, not really. I feel like we had some good topics this week. You know, a good discussion, good debates on the top five quarterbacks in the Big 12. We had some interesting sleeper teams. And, um, you know, Brennan, LSU's quarterback, Brennan, he walked away from the game. It was, it was an interesting week of college football. You know, we're a couple of days closer to kickoff. Um, I know you're probably just excited excited as I am. But I'm looking forward to getting to things. Absolutely. And uh, next time we're on, I think we're going to be talking about some week zero games, some actual games rather than, you know, projecting. I can't wait. I'm ready for that week. I can't wait. And uh, we hope everybody joins us next week as well. So uh, thank you guys for listening and tune in next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>